as I said to you before, people focus on the excuses. Mm. Successful people just go, well, why can't I? And that changes your mindset. Mm. Okay. Yeah. So the first thing is, why can't I do this? Why can't I do that? Why can't I be there? Why can't I achieve that? They question themselves. So if you take the, I can't do this and flip it to, why can't I do this? Changes your mindset and your body posture and you'll find out that you get to achieve way more. The second thing is, I've noticed a lot of successful, especially entrepreneurs, don't try to solve the problem. They try to eliminate the problem originally. Life is going to give you challenges, struggles. It's going to force you to face your fears. Even though these may feel like your worst enemy, in truth, these are actually your greatest allies. My name is Lance Isios. Welcome to the University of Adversity. And we're back. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to University of Adversity. This is your first time here. Welcome. Regular listeners, welcome back. If you guys haven't already, hit that subscribe button on Apple or Spotify, wherever you listen to it. Or if you're watching this on YouTube, subscribe as well. Greatly appreciated. We got a powerhouse of an episode today. He's an author, speaker, coach, and a real-life Wizard of Oz. You'll, you'll hear about why. And he's quoted in Wall Street Journal, Forbes, London Sunday Times, TV and speaker at the Pentagon and Harvard. He's got the world's greatest luxury concierge service called Bluefish. He wrote a book called Bluefishing, The Art of Making Things Happen. And he's worked with some of the biggest names on the planet, such as Sir Richard Branson, Sir Elton John, Elon Musk, and many more. We had such a great conversation talking about what's going on in the world right now, you know, why people do the things they do these days, the people that have been able to pivot, all the stuff, all the challenges that are going on in the in the world today. Steve really gives you his insight into all of those and you know why successful people continue to be successful and why people aren't. We also talk about his life, his journey, and how he got to where he is today. And it's funny because you guys will have a laugh right towards the end. He was telling me a story about Elon Musk and you guys will, you guys will love this. And then he asked me a question and I actually didn't know the answer. And I, I kind of froze and I was like, Oh shit. And it was kind of funny because, you know, I, I truly couldn't remember what he was talking about, but then I did after. So it's kind of funny, but he just dropped so much, so many bombs, so much amazing information. And the guy is just a, just a natural storyteller. There's a lot of things that I have in common with his story that I could really resonate with. And um, you guys are going to love this guy. He's been on a ton of different podcasts, ton of in different interviews. And I highly suggest checking him out after this, following him and looking into all the great stuff that he's up to. So without further ado, the one and only legendary Steve Sims. Here we go. Steve Sims, welcome to University of Adversity, my man. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Dude, so uh, you're an interesting guy. And <laughs> I've, uh, I've, I was really, not only have you done amazing things, but you're super entertaining. And the way you, the way you tell stories and the way, um, the stuff that you've been able to create is incredible. But it hasn't been easy for you. And I'm really looking forward to unpacking your story. But first, I kind of lately have been, because of what's going on in the world, I kind of would like to address like kind of where people are at the last six months, you know, because it's, 
what's going on in this craziness has impacted people so differently and so many people have had to pivot and do different things. What I want to ask you is during this craziness, the last six months, how has that affected your life, your business? And what has been kind of like your biggest takeaway so far in this madness? So I was conversing with a client of mine from Ukraine a couple of months ago, and um, I'll lead with this, and this is probably where a bunch of people are kind of suddenly turn off the podcast. Um, he said to me, wouldn't it be great if we had COVID every single year for a month? And the bottom line of it is that I am on a plane every single month. I'm either traveling to my coaching clients, I'm traveling to speak, I'm traveling to set up amazing experiences. Every single month I'm on a plane, okay? So COVID came in and everything stopped and two things happened that makes it completely different from a recession. You see, in a recession, there's still people with money that are now able to negotiate against people that need to get money. So it's a them and us scenario. In a recession, also businesses slow up. But the beautiful thing, and I I use the word beautiful thing about COVID, was that it stopped everything for everybody. Mm -hmm. So there's been times over the last two years that you thought to yourself, oh, I really want to pay attention to my CRM program. I really want to pay attention to my messaging. I really want to pay attention to X, Y, Z. But I can't. Because the second I look over there, my competitor's going to go ahead of me and I've got to stay on my toes. Mm. But your competitors are as screwed as you are at the moment. So this has allowed us a phenomenal chance to be able to stop and for the first time, first time, look at our feet and go, I wonder where we are, you know? Am I where I wanted to be five years back, you know? Is this the person I want to be? Is this the business I want to be? Is the relationship I want to be? Now, I did that as soon as COVID happened. I will blame it on sheer luck, but the second we got shut down, I own a travel industry, which is obviously deader than a dodo at the moment. I own a consulting and a coaching and a private club. Um, That's still doing vibrantly well, thankfully. But I decided, okay, I'm going to spring clean. Now, if you notice, When did COVID hit? It hit in spring, didn't it? So what are we doing spring? We get rid of the clothing that we didn't wear the year before and we really shouldn't have bought, and we spring clean the wardrobe. Well, COVID allowed me to spring clean the wardrobe, spring clean the garage, spring clean my desk, spring clean my business, my mind, my health. It was a great chance for me to orchestrate a reset. And a lot of people ignored that. I, I remember watching some of the social postings and everyone's like, oh, what shall I watch on Netflix? Fuck you, go and do something. Yeah. Don't have that as your main objective in life to get through the office in one day. Yeah. But that's the difference between them and us. We don't know the game of COVID. We don't know how to play. We've never heard of it before. We've been dropped in a stadium and we've been told, right, play the game. And we don't know the rules. But we decided, we, human beings, who's going to go and sit on the bench and cry and who's going to learn as they go? And that's been the biggest divider. I found a lot of people that I thought were quite go-getters. But the second that the the sea started to get rocky, they shit their pants and run away. 
okay? Yeah. And then I've seen other people who've stepped up. Now, look at entrepreneurs. There's always this statement about, oh, you know, when the going gets tough, get entrepreneurs get going. We just go. And when we're given a different dynamic, a different playing field, a different environment, we rise to the challenge. Because entrepreneurs, by definition, are comfortable with being uncomfortable. That's why we leave a perfectly secure job to become entrepreneurs and owners of businesses. Dumbest move in the planet, but that's where we feel happiest. So that's, in, in a nutshell, I don't want anyone to be ill. I don't want anyone to be sick. But how many relationships have grown and how many relationships have ended because of this? And I personally would love to see the lights go off every year for like a two-month period. That's just me. Yeah, no, I love that perspective though because that's coming from a place of empowerment, right? Instead of being the victim. And I think you're so right. There's so many people that kind of went into victim mode and just didn't see an opportunity to sort of embrace it. And that's, that's really what happened. It gave everybody a shot to kind of be like, all right, this is happening. We can't control it. So what are we going to do about it? I mean, and you're right. So many people, the gurus or those people, even in personal development, people that I've followed, it's like when shit hit the fan, it was kind of like they started to crack and you could see it in what they're, how they're showing up on social media. How, and it's, what do you think that is though? What do you think is the thing that, that gets people through that, that don't crack? Is it the personal development? Is it the mindful? Like, what is it for you? I mean, what do you see, like people you work with? What is the thing that kind of separates those two people? Uh, substance, I think, is the key. And I think what we've done is we've basically just had a, a toilet clean out. And you see, every guru who relied on the, uh, the fancy car or the sharp suit or the overpriced watch, you know, bedazzled with diamonds to look impressive, they've got nothing to look impressive about because they can't do any of that shit. Yeah. So when you take away that, that shine, what's there? Yeah. You know, now yeah. I've, I've worked for some of the biggest brands in the world, but anytime anyone looks me up, black t-shirt, nine times on a, out of 10, I'm on a motorbike. I'm not there to drive around in a Lamborghini to try and impress you because I don't give a shit. Yeah. But those people are trying to do it to gain credibility. So when that's taken away from them, they now have to revert to something called substance and credibility. And the sad thing is, good for us, they don't have any. Mm. So people are now out there going, hey, and you, you're right. Here's, here's one of the things I don't want to condemn. When things go rough, people look to see who they can follow. Okay? Mm. People look to see who can help them. That's a good reaction. Yeah. Never look away from that. And also, if you've picked a guru to follow, if you've picked a mentor, if you've bought a, a $4.99 course and it doesn't work for you, don't be a hater on it, okay? You're going in the right direction. You're just refining what it is you need, okay? Yeah. It's like walking into a pharmacist and just grabbing any tablet because you've got a headache and popping it in, thinking it's going to... You've got to know what your problem is before you can find what it is that needs to solve it. Okay. So don't hate yourself for kind of like trying and yearning to find help. Keep going until you get the help you need. But the thing is mindset and positioning. You see the richest guy on a rainy day is the guy selling the umbrellas. You've got to be ready to adapt to edit and pivot. Yeah. 
Yeah. And we've seen this situation where everyone's going to cry. Now, the bottom line of it is, and I'm being very assumptive here, a lot of people that are listening to this and watching this, they have a mortgage. Now, the mortgage may have put them into uh, forbearance. It may have put them into a deferment. But that's only parking the problem down the road. You know, I remember when my mortgage company said, hey, we're not going to ask you to make any payments on your mortgage for like three to four months. And I was like, well, that's great. I just get to pile all the money in the bank. And they said, yes. And in four months time, we'll send you a bill. You'll have to pay all four then. And I was like, well, what's the point in that? You know, how does that help me? So the bottom line of it is we didn't have a choice, but we did have a choice within the mindset and what we looked at and how we could find out how to sell the umbrellas. And as I've been working with my people, and I'll tell you a really funny thing, I don't do it anymore, but the second COVID hit, and I'm on about the second, I had gone to a new Mexican restaurant here in Los Angeles on the Sunday night, came home, and there was an announcement on the TV the restaurants were closed the following day. Now, my, my Mexican restaurant that I had try, tried was bloody horrible, and all I could remember thinking was crap. I can't go out to a restaurant now. And my last one was this shitty Mexican that I went to. And then the following day, everyone can like, whoa, woe is me. What are we going to do? The world's come to an end. I thought to myself, what do I have control over? You know, what can I control? And I remembered that every Friday night, and it's a habit, but every Friday night, five o'clock, I usually like to pour myself on old fashioned, sit in my oh, chair yeah. in the garden and just go, how am I doing? How was that week? You know, how's life? You know, did we have a good week? Great. If we didn't, what can I learn from it? How can I make next week that I don't repeat? So we do that every Friday. Mm. So on the Monday, I said, look, this Friday, I'm going to crack an old-fashioned open. Who wants to join me? Let's do this Zoom thing. Because, you know, everyone does Zoom now. But let's <laughs> yeah. do this Zoom thing. And we'll do a virtual happy hour. No selling. No promotion. Okay, no publicity, but also no negativity, whining or bitching. You know, turn up with your favorite beverage. I don't care if it's a cup of coffee. That first Friday, when we did it, we had about 40 people turn up. And it started getting up to 100 people as we were doing it every Friday. And it was completely fluke. There was no selling, but we did it because we wanted to get around like-minded people. So the first thing you've got to do today, and let's be blunt, we don't know when COVID's going to end, okay? Your mind is dictated by the people you are around. The people that are listening to you, they yearn to be better. They yearn to be more positive. They need to be more focused. But they still may have some crabs around them that need to be, you know, boiled. Yeah. So look at the people that are around you. And you do have the ability to change it. I have, um, I have a private Facebook group. It's free of charge. There's no publicity in it or promotion. It's called An Entrepreneur's Advantage with Steve Sims. And we're about 2,000 people now who literally just want to hang with positive people and not mention what we're watching on Netflix. Mm. So it's mindset all the way through. Yeah, for sure. How is it having such an awesome luxury concierge service, doing these amazing events and meeting all these people, those relationships that you have built, you know, even if you can't do those experiences right now, how, how valuable 
are those connections now? Because when shit hits the fan, all you have is those relationships, those conversations, those seeds that you've planted, right? And it's almost like if you're focusing on those relationships and nurturing those, nothing could, like you're always going to be ahead. Somebody's always going to be there to help. You're always going to be that, there to help them. How has that been as far as, you know, because you're right, everybody's going through the same shit, but everybody comes together. But those relationships that you've built, like how have those sort of, have those surfaced more during these times? Have, have people kind of stepped up and been like, how can I help you? And, and, and like, what does that look like from those, those, those relationships that you've built? Well, the beautiful thing is pain unifies, okay? Um, success is different to everyone. If I said to you, what does success look like, okay? It could be completely different to you as it could be to me, okay? But we're in the same pain. We're in the same problem. You know, if you're, if you're like Elton John, I'll give you a big example. I worked for Elton John for eight, uh, eight years. He was on his final concert leg before he finished. And he's sharp. I love Elton. He had timed the last concert to finish just before his kids started their next school and they started football practice because he didn't want to miss out on their, their years. Well, now his concert's been delayed by over a year. So his final leg is going to be into the early years of his children's school, okay? So we've all, so, you know, you're sitting there going, well, he's still got billions. Absolutely, okay? But he's still got pain. His plan's been distorted. Everyone's plan's been distorted. All of those people that were releasing movies, all of those actors and actresses that were getting their first break in a TV show or doing a record, it's all gone to shit. So we have all been unified by the same pain and anguish, which gives us a great common denominator. Now, I'm, I believe that everything I own is my credibility in my relationships. You know, without it, I'm stuck just being a seriously good-looking British guy. And, you know, 100%, man. my modeling 100%. career left me years ago. Yeah, no, it's way gone. But, you know, but that's all I'm left with, okay? I don't want to rely on my good looks. Um, <laughs> But I always try to stay in contact with my relationships. But life gets in the way. Yeah. Planes get in the way. Time zones get in the way. You know, I've been in Italy and gone, oh, I've got to contact these five people. And then you realize they're all asleep, you know, so you can't. So you get on your day and you miss it. We're in COVID now. We've got a brilliant chance to reach out to people. I made three phone calls of a guy, uh, for three guys that I haven't spoken to in probably like three months. I made them this morning before I came onto this call with you. And it was literally like, hey, I don't want anything, but I just wanted to like reach out and just go, you know, how are you doing? How are you holding up? How can I help make it a better day? What do you need from me? Let's just chat, you know? Uh, or bitch, and get it out, out of your system. Um, so I, may, I carry on with those relationships. And now is a beautiful time because, again, COVID being a, a common denominator, they're not at work. They're not traveling. They're not flying through the skies. So I'm able to connect and contact more people today than I've ever been uh, at any other time because life hasn't got in the way. Mm. You know, this, this ties into one thing I wanted to talk to you about that I saw in the Jay Abraham conversation you had. And you brought up 1980s networking and selling. I think I forget exactly the verbiage, <laughs> but how you, how that's, kind of where you're you're approaching nowadays and how people have lost that that connection and jay abraham kind of built his system on that model and how you and i loved how you guys were talking about that can you walk us through what you mean by that 
Yeah, Jay's my boy. I love Jay. Um, he lives just down the road for me. And uh, believe it or not, we were friends before I knew he was Jay Abraham. And that was, that's, a, that's a whole weird story on itself. But I just got to know this guy that was a cool cat. And we hung out. And it was about a year and a half later that I went to an event. And he walks on stage. And I'm thinking, why the hell is he up there? And then someone told me who he was. But I had no idea who he was and what he did. So it was a funny old time. So that's, that's been good for our relationship. But Jay, Jay's an older lad now, okay? And he made a lot of his power in the art of communication in the 80s and 90s. You know, it's no offense for that. And he's not, he's not one of these people, I say Gary Vee, that jumped on the YouTube uh, train and got into social very early. That was not Jay. But nowadays, as I always say with Jay, the good thing is let's bring the 80s and 90s back yeah. because social platforms have given us too much noise and distortion. We used to, if you remember, but like, how old are you? I'm 37. 37, all right. In the 90s, and that's not long ago. <laughs> I know. In the 90s, Crazy. if I wanted to contact you, I could write you a letter, send you a fax, phone you up or knock on your door. Yeah. I had four ways of getting in touch with you, which were the main reasons. Okay. Mm. Now I can actually send you a message without leaving my couch on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, Thriller, I sorry, Triller, TikTok. I can send you 400 messages on 400 different profiles and you're responsible for bloody answering them. I've had people come up to me and go, I've had people, well, they didn't come up to me, actually. I had a friend come up to me and go, so-and-so's not happy with you. And I'm like, well, why? And they said, well, he sent you a message on Twitter and you didn't respond. <laughs> I'm like, Fuck, what am I going to be doing on here? You can't, yeah. you would lose your life if you just did that all the time, all you know, even emails and stuff. So it's harder for us to actually communicate and real tough with us to connect. Mm. But if we bring the eighties and nineties back and stick to those four again, how many times when you've wanted to meet someone powerful and I'm not on about just Elon Musk, I'm on about, you know, someone that works in your town that holds a contract that you want or some, you know, head of a, a business or some recruiting agent. When was the last time you just picked up the phone and phoned them? Fuck, man. I don't even... They don't do it. It's crazy. It's crazy because yeah. it, it's such a foreign thing. Like, it's well, these so things, crazy, man. These things, these things are called smartphones. Yeah. Okay? But the last thing you use them for is a phone. Yeah. That's the weird thing. See, what I would do is I would send someone an email, and I do this now. I will send someone an email, and then I'll phone them. And I'll phone them up, and i go, uh, you know, I need to speak to Jack. The good thing is that in the 80s and 90s, the gatekeeper was the receptionist and the secretary. And they would be like, uh, how do you know, Mr. Abraham? Oh, oh we're, we're friends. Really? Let me take a message and he'll come back to you if that's accurate. That's the kind of shit you used to get from the receptionist. Yeah. They don't have receptionists anymore. Okay? Because no one's phoning. So you phone up and you go, hey, how are you? Yeah, put me through to Jay. It's Steve. And they go, Steve, oh, sorry, Steve Sims. And they go, oh, suddenly, hold on a second. And they put you through. <laughs> yeah. And you go, hey, Jay, I'm sorry to bother you, but I just wanted to let you know that um, I've sent you an email. My name is Steve Sims. Um, 
be on the lookout for it. You know, I'll give you a call back in a couple of days' time and we can, we can talk it through. They are stunned. They are wow. absolutely stunned because you phoned them. Another good thing is to send them a letter just warning them that, hey, uh, I want to be sending you some details. I'll send you an email next week. Send them a letter or a postcard. Let them know you're going to be emailing them next week and then phone them to let them know that by the time you get on the phone with them, you've already communicated with them on three, and here's the key word, different platforms. Yeah. You see, if you communicate with someone on just social, it doesn't matter how many pages you go through and you send it, it's still just one platform. Yeah. So you've got to try and contact them. Today, and here's the beautiful thing, people want to talk to people. Here's yeah. the, I'm sorry to rant, but I just want to talk to you No, dude, I, this, is, this is gold, man. Keep going. This I, is awesome. Yeah. The thing that really fucks me off. Sorry, I shouldn't swear. No, sorry, swear. Please, please do. All right. The thing that really fucks me off is that there's all these bitches out there going, oh, I can't connect with people. COVID means I can't go out. Bullshit. You started this 10 years ago. 20 years ago, the first time that Friendster and MySpace appeared, you started outsourcing your social connection to a computer screen. You didn't go around and speak to someone. You messaged them. Oh, nice baby. Baby looks good. How's the baby? Oh, he's looking great. Oh, it's sort of, fuck you. Go around and see the baby, you know, and tell them to go out on your babysit the night. People didn't do that. And now COVID has stopped us connecting with people. And do you know something? We don't like it. Because whether or not you think you're a people person or not, we like to connect with people. Yeah. You know, we like to be around people. I'm not a social person, but I love being in a bar with my old fashioned and just watching the world. Yeah. I love nothing more than being in a city that I don't know and sitting on, a, on the sidewalk in Paris, just watching the world. Now, how much fun would that be? if no one was in that world. And the daft thing is, everyone's moaning about it. And the second COVID starts to ease up, we're all trying to run out and connect again. But how soon after the green light goes and we're back out in the world, are we gonna start outsourcing our interaction to social platforms again? So don't bitch at me that you miss it. You started walking away from it 20 freaking years ago. Can you imagine if social media and internet just went away? Like, what? That's the other thing. How I, fucking got, crazy would that be? Like, that would change so many people's. Oh, every, yeah. How their beautiful it would be. Their careers have been so based on that. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, it, it's weird. Now, I've got, to, I've, I've got to kind of flip, you know. My business was always, you know, 30 to 40%. Because if anyone doesn't know who I am, and I'm not trying to be a cocky shit, um, I had the world's most uh, successful experiential concierge firm that only worked with billionaires. Nobody knew who I was. And then two and a half years ago, Bluefish in the Art of Making Things Happen, my book came out and all of a sudden I'm speaking on stages and coaching and I'm doing all these other things. A lot of live interaction. I only went digital about a year ago. And let's say, thank God for the great timing, because I was able to then utilize the following that I had to be able to help and make it work for everyone. But I adapted. And if there was no internet, I'd adapt again. You see, yeah. we, we may never have COVID again, okay? They may come up with a vaccine, a magic wand, and it will disappear. 
But there'll be another moment of being uncomfortable. There'll be another moment of, I don't know. How scared are people a month before an election? And how scared are they a month or two after an election as to what's going to happen? Yeah. And then we have something called a recession. And everyone shits their pants. The bottom line of it is, it may not be called COVID, but I guarantee you within your lifespan, there are going to be numerous times of being uncomfortable. Mm. How you handle them puts you on the winner's bench or on the sideliners. Man, so true. It's just being able to adapt to all these different, these different challenges, man. This is just another big one that's highlighted a lot for yeah. people. So I, I want to kind of go backtrack a little bit. Obviously, like over the years, you've developed these skills. I know that you, you talk about you weren't formally educated and you kind of grew up. You know, what I really loved with this story of when you're in the construction site with your dad, your cousin, your granddad, and the realization that you had in that. And oh what I, and I really would love, first of all, to hear that. But second, I can really relate because sometimes we get stuck doing what our family does and we get that fucking pressure to do that thing. And so many people will keep doing that thing just to kind of satisfy the people around them, right? Yeah. And to be able to, to say, to step away from that situation, which I love if you could unpack, takes so much, it takes a lot of courage. And most people don't have that, right? Well, Walk us through that and tell us a little bit of that story. I would, I, would love to ex I would love to accept it because you make it sound as if I was very smart. Um, but my wife has always said that my, uh, super, my superhero power is the power of stupidity and ignorance. You see, you can either be really brave to run into a fight, or you can be really stupid. But either way, you're still running into the fight. I came from a, I'll say poor, but then in hindsight, financially challenged would be a more accurate way of putting it. Mm. Family from East London that were in the construction industry. And every holiday I had, every Christmas, every Easter, every summer, would be a natural club where you're on the building site, you're helping me out. Yeah, I'm a big lad, so I would always be on the building sites. When I left school at the age of 15, I didn't even know college existed, okay? I went out with a girl, and she took me to her college, and I was like, what the fuck is this, you know? And they were like, it's college, you know, it's where you go after school. And I was literally, why would you go to another school when you've left school? Why would you do this? And I couldn't believe it. Um, and it wasn't until I got older. So I left school very uneducated. And I class myself now as a very educated man but school had nothing to do with that. Yeah. You know, all of my PhD and MBA came from fucking up and falling over and making mistakes. Um, and that's why I've got a doctorate in it a few times over. But I remember one day I was on the building site and I had a massive great pile of bricks on my shoulder. And you would literally stack them up crisscross and carry them up the, sh uh, the scaffolding. And I got to the top of the scaffolding and right on the, uh, the right hand side of me, and I can see this vividly now. It was a miserable rainy day. I can tell you the color, the smell, everything. It was that impactful to my life. There was my dad and he was laying bricks and he had stepped back for me to put the bricks down. Next to him, I then caught the eye of my uncle, his brother. 
Next to him was my two cousins, late teens and early 20s. Next to him, next to them, my granddad in his 80s. I was 15 and a half years old, and I could see my entire family tree in front of me. You know, I could see my lifeline. You know, I'm the youngest, there's the eldest, and there's the in-betweens. And I froze. And my dad yelled at me, put the bricks down. So I put the bricks down. I went down to get some more. At tea break time, I ran into the caravan. And we had this caravan to keep us dry and warm. And it had a little stove in there to warm everybody up. Bunch of guys all wet in one little caravan. It was not the the, the nicest place on the planet. Caravan had no wheels on it. Um, And I went in and my granddad was hunched in the corner, just, you know, blowing onto a cup of tea that he'd poured out of his flask. And I, I went over and I sat down next to him. Now, I come from an Irish family, so we're all big meatheads. And my, my, my granddad was like a seven-foot lump of a fella. And um, I said to him, Granddad, Granddad, you know, did you expect to be doing this when you were, uh, when you were this age? <laughs> and it was the kind of question that really should have just got me a smack in the nose. He didn't look at me, carried on blowing on his tea to kind of cool it down before he could start sipping it. And he never made eye contact with me. He just said, son, if you don't quit today, you'll be me tomorrow. And I was like, whoa. So when we came out of the, you know, the the bell went, door opened up in the caravan. The gaff was like, you know, come on, let's go. So, you know, we came out of there. There was my dad. And I ran over to my dad and like a skippy little, uh, you know, overzealous bunny. I'm like, dad, dad, dad. You know, I went in there and I saw granddad and I was up on the scaffolding. I saw you and I went out and I went over to granddad. I said, did you think you'd be doing this? You're blah, blah, blah. And I'm like bursting this thing at him. I said, I've got to quit. And my granddad walked behind me. And I know he walked behind me because I could see it peripherally, but I never caught his eye. But my dad did. And they looked at each other. And then he looked at me and he went, you finished Friday. I was like, okay, okay. So that was it. That was the, now, that wasn't the last time I went onto the building site because I still needed to make money. But that Friday, I stopped working on that building site because I can, I can name drop people I've worked with, Elon Musk, Elton John, uh, Richard Branson, Eve Branson, Richard's mum. You know, I can name drop here for like 15 hours. Yeah. You may not know those names, but you'll understand because we all carry the same DNA as an entrepreneur. And that DNA usually makes us aggravated. We need to succeed in things. You know, like ADD people get very aggravated because they can't get that message across or they can't understand. So as entrepreneurs, we know quite often where we don't fit rather than where we do fit. So at leaving the building site, I didn't know what I was going to do. I just knew it couldn't be this. Yeah. And then I started a journey of getting involved in so many different jobs that weren't right for me. They were wrong. And every now and then I'd pop back on a different building site just to make a bit of money because it was the only kind of uh, area that I, that I knew how to survive in. Um, but I went about that trying to find my own way. And then I realized the second pivotal moment was that they say you're the it's old, old, old cliche. You are the combination of the people you hang out with. And I remember sitting in the pub with my buddies and we all had our coins on the desk, on the table, so that we knew how much more we could drink. Sometimes we'd buy a pint of beer and then split it three ways because we didn't have a lot of money. You know, it was that kind of thing. Mm. And I sat there and I thought, if we're the combination of the five people we hang around with, 
All my friends are broke-ass bikers. I must be a broke-ass biker. So I thought, I'm going to change the playing field. I need to speak to rich people. I need to know and befriend five rich people because that's, that's what I'll be then. That's how primitive and stupid it was. So it wasn't bravery. It was stupidity. And I've always believed, and I'll, I'll actually quote Jay Abraham on this. Jay paid me a compliment once, which was probably the nicest thing ever. He turned around and he said, you've got a far superior I can than you have an IQ. And I remember at the time growing up, I would just go and do things. And if it worked, great. If it failed, at least I benefited from the lessons I got from the action I took. Yeah. Because you never, ever, ever completely fail at something. Yeah. One, ele- one element of it may have failed, but the rest of it may have got you somewhere and taught you some lessons. So action is always the key, regardless of the outcome. The outcome then just becomes something you get the ticker tape out for or you start analyzing where it went, went wrong. Mm. Did you realize that you... I don't know if you said you're a people person or not, but did you realize, did you think you were? Because here's the thing. I can relate with this story because when I was growing up, you know, first I was a hockey player that didn't work out. And then I tried to do all these jobs, construction, you know, trades, whatever it was to kind of pay the bills. But I knew that that wasn't me. I always knew that I had some sort of, I was a people person, man. Like it was I would suffer in those sites. I'd be like, fuck, this is brutal. Like I hated it. No disrespect. I think that's great work for the right people. A lot of my friends were tradesmen and all that, but I always knew. But then when I got into the the bar and restaurant industry, I bartended and traveled and I was like, oh, this is my spot. You know, although it got very toxic, I, I, you know, which was, (laughs) I had a lot of fun, traveled the world, but that's where I first stepped in and realized, oh, this is, this is, this is a bit, this is my thing. Right. And I didn't realize that. So what I want to ask you is, because I know you work dormant. I know you were a, a, a bouncer at clubs and stuff like that. Did you feel like that was sort of getting into like where you're supposed to be? Like people, you're like, oh, I actually can build these relationships. I'm actually pretty good at this. Or did that just naturally fall like into place? Yes and no yeah. is the easy answer to this. Um, I still don't think I'm a people person. Um, really? my tolerance, yeah, my tolerance to assholes, um, is not very good. Um, and so I don't care what you watched on TV last night. I really don't care, you know, what you're thinking of calling your firstborn, you know, I'm not, I'm really, my wife quite often will kind of like poke me and like, like, you know, be nice or something where I'm just being normal and she'll think that I'm not being like friendly enough. And then I'll have to go. So yeah, do tell me about your new cat, you know, like I care. Yeah. I don't think I'm a people person. I think I'm a relationship person. But most definitely, I'm a challenge person. You see, the thing that really got me was when I started working on the door, I played a game. And you say you were a bartender, okay? If you want to learn about the art of communication, become a bartender. You know, I think these people are phenomenal. And if you think, and I used to watch it like it was a freaking skill. You know, yeah. it was like some kind of like Bruce Lee martial arts. You'd see this bartender and like, and I was in awe. They would have like five groups come up to the bar. Okay. Yeah. 
And they, they could, within a nanosecond, respond to each one of those groups differently. They'd go up to the girls and they'd go, hey, ladies, we're at a party. And then they'd go to the next crowd of ladies and say, oh, good evening, ladies. You know, what can I get you? you know, they could just tell very quickly how to do it. And I was in awe of this. And, of course, being big and ugly, where did they put me? On the door. Okay? And I never thought I could communicate with people. Because I wasn't very good. And I would try it. And I'd be like, hey, how you doing? And they would just look at me like I was some kind of freak, you know, because I couldn't carry it off. But what I started doing was I started watching people. And I'm a great people watcher. I said earlier, I like to sit on the street and go, I'm a voyeur beyond belief. And I would have people walking up the door. And two things happened. First of all, I used to play the game. So the guy would pull up outside the the bar in a Ferrari. And I would, he would step out of Ferrari and I would play the game. Do I want to be him or not? Okay. Always that question. And I'm watching. They'd get out of Ferrari. They'd, they'd talk to the uh, valet boy politely. They'd hand him the keys, have a little bit of a conversation, open up the door to whoever's in the car for them, come out, walk in the bar. Okay. That person I liked. Okay. And I'd be like, hey, good evening. You know, are we, are we set celebrating anything tonight a special occasion and they'd be like oh no we just decided to get out of the house and i'll be like let me let me quickly get hold of one of the uh, hosts and uh, let's get you a nice table and i would just do that you know i wasn't supposed to be the club manager i wasn't supposed to be the uh, the person with the door list but i just went that little beyond and i would get a tip but it would never really matter but i it would later i'll come back to that in a second but then you'd get the other person that would pull up in a Ferrari, get out, and you've seen this. As I'm talking about it, you're going to know exactly who I'm talking about. They would get out, start putting the jacket on, and start looking around going, who's seen me arrive? And you would realize that they never bought the Ferrari for them. They bought it for the benefit of everyone else. Yeah. You know? And I'd be like, I don't want to be that person. So I always realized from a young age, are you wearing that watch or is the watch wearing you? Are you buying that car for you or are you buying it for me? You know, mm-hmm. and you could ask that. So I became that door work while I never got to have the interaction of a bartender. It was a great viewpoint of psych- uh, psychology as well, because also as people walk towards the door, there's a couple of meatheads who are paid to look scary. Okay. We're on the door. Okay, our job is to kind of like make you think twice about starting a fight, okay? But as you walk towards the door, to the left-hand side is usually a big lineup of people, okay? You, as a person, self-select your status in that position. I was always stunned at this. You'll get people walk up to a door and go, hey, how are you? I'd like to get a great tape. We would let them in. But then you'd get other people who would turn up and go and join the line. Oh, yeah, that's so true. Yeah, and I realized I'm not telling you where to go. And oh, you've even seen people walk up to me fuck. and get in, but you still decided where you fit oh. in the hierarchy of people. And, and so I started to learn this psychology. Now, the people that I started letting in, if they came back a second time, I would say, hey, you, you like going out at night, you know, where do you often go? I would start a conversation. Now, as I was the doorman, I would know where all the good clubs were. So mm. I'd be like, look, this is Thursday. There's a party. And, and you know, like clubs have celebrities come in. 
So yeah. I would know where the clubs were that the celebrities were coming in. So I'd be like, I, actually, you know, this is on the hush, but, you know, down the road at Jimmy's, uh, so-and-so is coming in this Thursday. If you'd like me to get your table, I can make a phone call. I'm now starting to connect with him. Pre-Google, I was now your nightlife manager. I was telling you where. <laughs> so as it grew, and it grew from introducing you to the best parties, then I started throwing my own parties because I had the Rolodex of rich people. Wow. And then I started throwing them on yachts, penthouses, and it grew. I didn't see, and this is where stupidity comes into it, I didn't see a limit. So I went from renting the back room of really rough nightclubs to working with organizations like uh, Elton John's Oscar party, the Kentucky Derby, the Grammys, Formula One Monaco, wow. and the biggest events in the planet because I refused to limit what was possible. And so much, so much truth in that that I can relate to and, and just seeing the psychology of people and choosing like which line they're in yeah. and just accepting it. And you see that even nowadays with like what's going on in the world too. And, but man, that's, I love that story because you kind of, once you, there, there's something about when you're meeting these people coming into these bars and I used to love it too. I used to love cracking people open. Somebody would come to the bar and they'd be like, they have this attitude with me. And I'd be like, I'm going to fuck, this guy's going to be high-fiving them by the end of the night. And yeah. it would be. It'd be like, it's so interesting being able to like unpack the different, the different people and you can really tell. And that, that is like a skill that I learned so much that I took and turned into podcasting because I actually love connecting with people, but in a better environment like this. And I just love how you brought that up because it, there's so much going on in that environment that you can learn from. And what I find really cool is like how you've been able to kind of take that not have any limits and be like, fuck it, I'm going to create all these experiences. So like, what was the big turning point? Like how did, like who was the first big, big name or like huge experience that was kind of like, holy shit, like this is, this is massive. I did it. Like what is, is there anything that stands out? as? Yeah, like, there is, there is, there is, but it isn't. So there were four guys in this bar one night and, uh, these guys I wanted to be. They were regulars. They were good-looking lads. They always had fine clothing on. They always had the girls. They never cared about that bar tab because, you know, they, they just had money. Yeah. And I just wanted – none of my people were like that. We're all big and brutish and ugly, you know. Um, I just wanted to be one of these guys. Uh, and one of them said to me, just pass him, because by that time, everyone knew that I knew where all the nightlife was. They said to me, are you going down to the yacht party? Now, I should. I've skipped an integral party. I was actually living in Hong Kong at the time, and I was on the door. Now, Hong Kong's a very small island with lots of harbors. So they said, are you going down to the yacht party? And me, just being kind of like, you know, flippant, I was like, eh, I don't know. Which one are you talking about? I didn't know any of them, you know. And he went, oh, it's the and he mentioned the one that was going on. And I looked at these four guys, sharply dressed, clean cut, sleek bag, good looking dudes, could afford anything. And I thought to myself, and I said, are you going? And they went, oh, we, we can't get in. Okay, okay. Went back to the door, stood on the door. Now the harbor that, they were, uh, that the party was on wasn't actually too far away. And it was early evening. And I thought to myself, why can't they get in? 
You know, if I'm throwing a party, especially, and I think it was for a jewelry firm, if I'm throwing a party announcing my new jewelry line, do you want A, beautiful people that can afford anything you're selling, or ugly runts that are just sponging off of the free champagne and hors d'oeuvres? Kind of made sense to me. You want the rich people. So why couldn't these people get in? So I said to my fellow meathead, wait here. I went down to the, to the dock and I saw, and this was early evening, maybe about two and a half hours before the party started. And there's the girl at the front of the, of the runway just going through this pad. And I went over to her and I'd taken off my tie. So now all I had was a black shirt, a black um, a suit on and a white shirt. And I went, hey, how you doing? I said, um, you know, I know the party's on here tonight, but uh, I just wanted to ask you a question. Do you want my guys to come here? And I think the party started at like nine o'clock. I said, do you want them to get here like 8.30 so they can, you know, get ready so it's a slow move in? Or would you like them to get here like, like 10, 10, 15 when the bottleneck's finished? What would be best for you? And then I shut up. She instantly started flicking through her flip chart. I didn't give her the names, but she started doing that. Everyone has a knee-jerk reaction, and this was hers, okay? And I said to her, I reiterate, I said to her, hey, I don't want to cause you any stress. I'm actually trying to think of what could help you. And so it's all about her. So she went, Mm -hmm. oh, um, 10, 10 would be great. Thank you very much. And then now bear in mind, I was making like 600 bucks a week. Okay. And so I pulled out uh, some money ahead of me and I had like about 600 bucks. I took 200 bucks off and I gave it to her. And I said, look, let's be blunt. These people that come to this party nine times out of 10, they don't say thank you to the people that they should be thanking. So tomorrow when it's all over and you're thankful it's over and it's all gone well, Grab yourself a bottle of wine and some food and just rejoice in the fact that you did a brilliant event. Thank you so much. And I gave it to her. She was like, oh, thank you very much. And I said, more than welcome. Yeah, my name's Steve. I introduced herself. She introduced herself and I went, thank you very much. And then I risked it. I said, see you later. And I turned around and went to walk off. And she went, oh, hang on a minute. Who are the four guests? Now, bear in mind, they weren't on the list. So I gave her the names. She wrote them on the front of the list and she said, make sure when they get here, they ask for Jackie. I'll make sure they get through to the best place. So I went, Jackie, you're gold. Thank you very much. I went back to the bar, put my tie on, walked into the lads. And I said, lads, you said you couldn't go back to that. You can go to that party. And they were like, no, we can. You know, we, there's a list and there's this. And they gave every excuse. Have you noticed how people spend more time giving you excuses? then reasons why they should do it. Yeah. People love excuses. And so I said, look, I've just pulled a favor and made a phone call. I didn't even have a phone, but I said, I pulled a favor and I've made a phone call. Be there at 10 o'clock tonight and ask for Jackie. And they were like, you got us in. I said, I did, but I had to make pull a favor. I said, so that'd be 500 bucks each. Okay. Bear in mind, I'd spent two. Now they could have gone, yeah, no, we're not going to do We've actually got other plans. They could have come up with another excuse and I was out $200. But they didn't. They jumped up and started throwing this 500 bucks down. And I walked out of there with $1,800 profit. And I realized people don't pay to get into the event. They pay for the, uh, to avoid the humiliation of being declined. 
The only thing these guys were scared of was the no. They were terrified of a no. And they were quite happy to pay through the ass to avoid that. So that was my first thing that made me realize that. And that's why I always went for rich people. I'm still stunned why people want to go into business. And then what do they do? They market it to poor people that can't afford them. The, the same effort you speak to a poor person is the exact same effort you, you, you speak to a rich person, but they can afford more. Okay. So personally, I like it when my invoices are paid. So I sell up every single time. As it went on, I realized that no matter where you are in life, however powerful and rich you are, you still have a problem that needs solving. So I would always go to people and I'd go, okay, I know you're doing this. How can I make it better for you? I would go to Elton John and I'd say, your Oscar party in Hollywood is by far the leading party. How can we make sure it continues to be for the next three to five years? How can we make, when I went there, they were charging three and a half grand a ticket. I was in there for a very short time and we upped the price to five and a half grand a ticket entry. And some of them said, no one's going to come. I said, I'll tell you two things that are going to happen. Less people are going to come. Okay. But a better standard of people will. And so that's what happened. You know, they lost about 20% of the crowd, but that doubled the ticket price. So they made more money with less people. So you've always got to go along and try and, out, try and find out what are you the solution to? What is that problem that they need you for? Is there anything that, so working with these, you know, Sir Elton John, Richard, Sir Richard Branson, Elon Musk, learning from them and, and rubbing shoulders with them and many others, is there one thing that they all have in common that you really noticed after being around them that, that, kind of inspires you or that made you want to think differently because yeah. I know that I've noticed, you know, in sports or people that I look up to are really good leaders. A lot of them have different, the certain things in common. You're like, ah, oh, shit, that's why they're successful. That's why they're where they're at. Is there anything within that, that group of those high elite status people that they have? There is. The first one is the, why can't I? Okay, mm -hmm. if you walk up to someone and say, hey, if you could do anything this weekend, what would it be? And they'd go, oh, I'd love to play piano with Elton John or something else. And they'll say that, and then they'll go into telling you two minutes why they can never do it. As I said to you before, people focus on the excuses. Mm -hmm. Successful people just go, well, why can't I? And that changes your mindset. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah. so the first thing is, why can't I do this? Why can't I do that? Why can't I be there? Why can't I achieve that? They question themselves. So if you take the, I can't do this, and flip it to, why can't I do this? Changes your mindset and your body posture, and you'll find out that you get to achieve way more. The second thing is, I've noticed a lot of successful, especially entrepreneurs, don't try to solve the problem. They try to eliminate the problem originally. You know, like when um, Elon Musk would look at something and people would go, oh, yeah, this is squeaking and we, 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 we've got to find a way that it won't squeak. He would go up the river to find out why that part is even required in the first place. You see, bearing in mind, for him to not have to worry about bearings and friction and combustion engines he built something that that was irrelevant to. So he will go in and go, okay, I don't want to solve that problem. 
I want to know why is that problem there in the first place? Why do we use that? And I found that they think differently and they action. Let me ask you this question. Um, Elon Musk sent a reusable um, space rocket up in a space and he had, he worked out that one of the most expensive elements of a rocket with the two massive fuel packages on either side of launching it up. Okay. And he worked out that if he could save those by having them land on a dock in the ocean and reuse those, he would save a lot of money and make it more affordable the next time the rocket went up. How many times did you see that fuel cell land on that floating dock and then fall over and explode? None. You never saw it? I can't. You never saw it on TV when they were doing it? Oh, yeah, I know I did. Yeah, yeah, I did. I did. All right. Hey, I'm not trying to twist your statement. No, no, I, I just couldn't there remember. Was, there was a lot of time. There's a reason for that. There was a lot of times on the news, they would show these fuel cells land, quiver, fall over and explode in the flanks. Mm. And every couple of days or a couple of weeks when Elon was trying to do it again, it would explode and the news would come on and look at Elon Musk's uh, rocket. It explodes again. When was the last time you ever saw that fuel cell land on a platform? I'm not sure. The answer is probably going to be about a year ago. Why? Because he solved it. Now it doesn't make interesting news. It goes up, it comes down, it lands, it's all good. The bottom line of it is, we look at stuff. If you remember when the Cybertruck mm. came out, do you remember he did that yeah, oh yeah, weird-ass oh yeah. bloody Terminator? What was the news headline the following day? I'm putting a, you on the spot here. But yeah, I know. It's okay. I'm like, holy shit. No. Um, what was I, the main focus point that they talked people, about when they unveiled it? A lot of people thought it looked like shit. A lot of people were like, it was like, there is a lot of criticism about it, but it was genius. And well, there was like, remember? it was broken. There was something. He smashed something. There you go. Yeah. The indestructible glass yeah. was broken by an actor throwing a stone at it. Yeah. Okay, so forget the fact that this guy had actually invented, not edited, not tweaked, not built off of the platform of, yeah. had completely yeah. redesigned a truck from the, from the tires up. Yeah. And all the media cared about the following day was, oh, his bulletproof glass isn't bulletproof. Yeah. You know, the thing is, as humanity... We like to jeer and push people off of a pedestal. Mm. The big key thing about people like Elon Musk, they don't care. They have no care what you think because uh, do I care about the people that probably can't afford what I'm selling laughing at me? You know, wow. when you're stood there going, oh, you're bulletproof glass, you couldn't invent one millimeter of the truck that I built yeah. But this is the element you want to... Now, here's the funny thing. Do you have any doubt whatsoever that if you threw a rock at that window now, that it would bounce off and it would be fixed? No. No, because you know full well, you grow from failure. Your yeah. success comes from things that go wrong. He now knows how to land a rocket because the first ones didn't. He now knows how to repair the windows because the first one failed publicly. Okay? Mm, yeah. The bottom line of it is, People at that level, they think different and they don't care about your laughter. Because, and I remember him saying this to me, 
directly as we were walking through SpaceX. He said, they will always laugh at you before they applaud. Mm, yeah. Yeah. And then they'll jump on and love it after they, all the haters oh, and all the, crit, yeah. all the people that were criticizing it for how it looked and whatever was happening will all come back and be like, oh, I love that. Yeah, I love how what you've soon done before here. You, yeah. How <laughs> soon before you see it in every bloody rap video, you know, those things are going to be... There's, there's not gonna, I know loads of people that were like, oh, it's ugly as sin. And I'm like, oh, you don't like it? And they go, nah, but I'll put my deposit down. You know, yeah. <laughs> there was so many people I know, I know that did that. I need to go back and watch those now, man. First thing I'm going to do after. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh they, God, they think <laughs> they move differently. I'm sorry for putting you on the oh, spot. Oh, no, but, that's uh, okay. I was just like, ah, oh, man, I, don't, I, don't, I can't remember. I can't, I don't know. There's so much stuff these days on. We get shown so much. I just couldn't remember. But that's yeah, fine. No, that's fine. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Where if we can all people want to learn about you and work with you, I know you got your book, Blue Fishing, um, and you got a program called Sims Distillery. Talk us through all this and where we can find you and check you out. So simsdistillery.com is actually my inner circle. It's got a course element to it, but it's also got a, live, a lot of live videos, but it's the only place where you can actually interact with me and my guests twice a month. Mm. So it's a real good AMA and hub spot for that. And that's why I call it my inner circle. Um, the book, um, you can find most of me on stevedsims.com and there's only one M in uh, Sims. Or really, if you want some free cool stuff and to grow your network, uh, an entrepreneur's advantage with Steve Sims is my Facebook page. If you become a member of Sims Distillery, you get into my private Facebook page where I'm in there a lot more. But uh, an entrepreneur's advantage is a free way of really starting to get to understand my tone and what I stand for and what I preach. Mm, I love it, man. To, to always like, wrap it up with one final question around adversity and everything. All the things that you've gone through, all the challenges, struggles, adversity – what is the number one lesson that adversity has taught you? Ah, uh, my dad. My dad once said to me, no one ever drowned by falling in the water. They drowned by staying there. I love it. I uh, appreciate you coming on, brother. This is awesome. Thanks, man. And Thanks for having me. I hope it helps. Oh, it was great, man. Steve Sims, everybody. Thanks, everybody. As you could tell, <laughs> he stumped me a little bit there. That's just the way it is. And, uh, it was it was kind of funny, but it, it definitely caught me on my toes. But what an what an awesome interview, what an awesome conversation. Steve is is the man. What a legend. Make sure to go check him out. And if you want to have a real, you want to connect with some real people, real entrepreneurs, all the information is in the show notes that he spoke about. Get his book and uh, all that good stuff. So as always, guys, make sure to subscribe to this whatever platform you listen to, Apple, Spotify, wherever, or on YouTube. And if you got value, leave a review or share it with a friend. It's always greatly appreciated. Much love, everybody. 